Taking a final look back at the BYU game, taking our first look forward at the San Diego State game, and even a little basketball talk. You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. Nothing like a nasty head cold to slow down the momentum of the podcast. Uh, I was on my butt for a couple days, actually, but now I'm back. Uh, thanks to all of you who've been checking out the podcast. Thanks to all of you who checked out the first post-game show with the guys from Wildcat Country Podcast. Eric and Shane going to be doing more with them as the season progresses, including after the San Diego State game this Saturday. Back at BYU, still encouraged with what I saw, uh, although obviously a lot of work in progress. Still don't know how good BYU is. I think my big takeaway is if you did not find things to be encouraged about, you just don't want to be encouraged. And if you didn't find reasons to be concerned, you were not looking for reasons to be concerned. Because there's both. Obviously, Arizona's inability to score, Arizona's inability to slow down the run, uh, Arizona taking the loss. Those are all concerns. But Gunnar Cruz did some things that few Wildcat quarterbacks making their debuts have done. Arizona moved the football. Arizona looked about on par talent-wise with the Cougars. Although the Cougars got up early, Arizona was just the better team in the second half. So, you know, there was good, there was bad. I, I saw enough to think that if Arizona can make some improvements, they can win a handful of games this season. I also saw enough weaknesses that they could... Uh, really struggle. I also think we have to readjust our expectations. Not too much, but based upon what we've seen in the Pac-12. Uh, my original hope was that the Cats could be 2-1 and one after the first three games, maybe 3-0. and oh, Obviously, that's not going to happen. And then try to steal a win from either UCLA or Colorado. Now, obviously, the way UCLA looks right now, and that could all change. We know that. But I think beating the Bruins is going to be really tough. But beating Washington now looks like a real possibility based upon what we saw in week one. Granted, Washington may be a completely different team by the time Arizona uh, faces the Huskies at Arizona Stadium in a few weeks. But after week one, they would be the last place team in the Pac-12 power rankings. If you're doing Pac-12 power rankings, Based upon the first week and a half of the season, or two weeks if you want to count UCLA's first week, you're putting UCLA 1, and you're putting Washington 12. In reality, I think I put Arizona somewhere around 9th. If you're looking at it, in fact, I got in front of me. I would go UCLA 1, USC 2, ASU 3, Oregon 4, Utah 5, Colorado 6. Those were all the teams that won. And then you start ranking the losses. And I think Cal losing a close game to what should be a pretty good Nevada team puts them 7th. Oregon State went on the road and, and hung as much as they could with a medium to okay uh, Purdue team. Then I would put Arizona ahead of Washington State, Stanford, and Washington. Now, Stanford, you could argue, played maybe the best team uh, of those schools that lost, but they were also just thoroughly dismantled. I mean, they weren't in that game. Whereas I would probably argue, you know, we could, I think, debate at the end of the year whether Nevada... Oregon State, Utah State, or BYU are the best team. But again, when you're trying to separate ASU, Oregon, Utah, Colorado's first games uh, from you know from each other, it's it's picking straws. It's it's nitpicking. Um, you know, Oregon played the best team in Fresno, but maybe looked the worst. ASU probably played the worst team in Southern Utah. 
Then again, Cal, Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State. Again, all kind of in that same lumped bunch. And we'll know more as the season progresses. You know, maybe BYU is a three-win team and suddenly Arizona's loss looks really bad. But, you know, that will start to separate as the year goes on. But, yeah, if I was going to have it right now, i put Arizona ninth. I think you could even debate that maybe eighth over Oregon State. But I like the fact that Oregon State went on the road to a Big Ten team, whereas Arizona went neutral site that wasn't very neutral against a very good non-Power 5 team. So what what are the expectations now? I wouldn't bet on it, but I would not be as shocked to see Arizona enter the October 30 USC game with a 3 or 4 or even 4 and 3 record. That means they're obviously winning against San Diego State this weekend. That means they're beating NAU, and then they're either splitting the rest of the games or you know even trying to get two of three i think that might be tough with arizona's overall talent level but at least at the very least i think by the time october ends they're going to have at least two wins and possibly as many as four and that's not including i think some what i would call a serious upset you know a beating ucla at this point would be considered a serious upset beating usc would be a serious upset now, beating Oregon would still be a serious upset, even though Oregon didn't look great. But I think Oregon's going to rebound and be a pretty good football team. A good point uh, by listener Boog Bob uh, from Twitter. Uh, he mentioned that Arizona struggled to score in Rich Rod's uh, first game against Toledo. I think the big difference is they racked up about 624 yards, but they scored just 24 points, including seven in overtime. And we're really kind of lucky to escape uh, Toledo now. The next two weeks, the Cats scored 59-56. And if you, you know, eliminate a, a shutout against number three, Oregon, they didn't score less than 35 points in five of those six weeks. Do I expect that kind of improvement from this team? No. But I do think there will be improvements uh, in terms of scoring, in terms of execution. I think the Wildcats basically have two weeks to kind of fine-tune their offense before entering Pac-12 play, and I think they'll be better. Some people were critical of the blitz on the defense, and if we're looking at it from a sacks-only standpoint, I would agree with them. It was a disappointment. Just one sack, which again is half of last year's totals, but last year was abysmal. Uh, But here's the thing. Sacks are not the only thing the blitz is measured by. Uh, The blitz is designed to do a number of things, including sack the quarterback, and that's the primary, obviously the main thing. But the blitz is designed to put pressure on the quarterback. It's to get the ball out of his hands early. It's to get hits on the quarterback, to make him uncomfortable, to confuse him. Uh, frankly, it's to get the quarterback to check down into a safer play. And in many, in many cases, the blitz was effective in those type of situations. Uh, we saw that Jalen Hall uh, was uncomfortable in the pocket. He had to leave the pocket. He rushed some throws. But in some key situations, it didn't work at all, including the 65-yard touchdown where he had plenty of time uh, not only to spot the blitz and spot the coverage, but beat the coverage with the long pass to Pau. Um, So, yes, I want to continue to see Arizona rush the quarterback. They need more quarterback pressures. They need more quarterback hurries. And, yes, they need more quarterback sacks. Uh, But we saw some good things. And BYU even mentioned that they knew the blitzes were coming, but were a little bit confused by what Arizona was doing. More than the lack of pass rush, my biggest concern is uh, the lack of edge contain. I mean, San Diego State is certain to attempt to run outside the tackles based on the success BYU had. Arizona struggled both with their ends, their backers, and their safeties to keep the BYU running backs uh, between the tackles and keep them from getting the edge. 
do a better job keeping them from getting to the edge. But when they get to the edge, they need to do a better job uh, of limiting those runs to just a few yards. And I think that's possible. Obviously, Arizona's still getting used to their personnel, still getting used to the scheme. But that, to me, which is odd because I think Arizona teams have been bullied in the middle so much. Uh, you know, the past seems like 150 years, but, you know, the past half dozen years uh, that actually BYU didn't run between the tackles that effectively. I mean, they were good, but they weren't great. The bulk of their damage came around the end, came around uh, uh, outside the tackles, and that's what Arizona has to slow down. But they can't do it at the expense of the middle of the field, too, because, you know, you can sell out to avoid those outside runs and then be susceptible to the middle. And when we talk a little bit about San Diego State, we're going to talk about how good they ran the ball. I mean, they ran for nearly 250 yards against New Mexico State. Now, San Diego State looked pretty mediocre against New Mexico State, and New Mexico State is a bad team. While we don't know yet how good or not good BYU is, we do know that the Aggies are likely to be among the worst teams in the nation. They won just two games in 2019. Uh, one of those being against Incarnate Word, who I frankly didn't even know played football. Last year, they played two games, beating Dixie State, who I thought was a junior college or at least a D2 team. And they beat somebody or they lost to somebody named Tarleton State. Again, I've heard of Tarleton. I believe it's in Texas, but I really don't know. This year, they're already 0-2. They were beaten soundly by UTEP. Yeah, that UTEP. I love Dana Demo, but it's UTEP. They're they're not good. And then they jumped out 10 nothing on the Aztecs. Now, they did surrender 28 in the second half and gave up 28 without giving up 100 yards in the air. But they did, you know, eventually fold to the Aztecs. But the Aztecs didn't look good doing it. Uh, New Mexico State threw the ball effectively. Uh, they were able to move the ball. They got out to that early lead. If the first game is any indication, the Aztecs should be able to run the ball. But again, they had just 76 yards passing. Conversely, they gave up the 326 in the air despite getting three picks. So three picks probably saved it, that number from being even worse. So I would expect the Wildcats to throw early and often. Uh, I think this game really could come down to who establishes their offensive strength better. The Aztec running game versus the Arizona passing game. Or maybe it's who does the opposite thing of their strength better. Can Arizona be a better running team than we saw against BYU? And can the Aztecs be a better passing team than we saw against New Mexico State? But I really think Arizona has a chance to move the ball in the air. And if they can slow down the Aztec running game, hold them to under 175, 150 even, then I think they win and they can win easily. If they can't, if the Aztecs continue to churn out 200, 250 or more, they're just going to control control the clock, control the tempo, and I think eventually tire out an Arizona defense that I'm still not sure how deep it really is. Uh, and really, I think that comes down to it. Can Arizona slow down the run? And that's probably going to mean uh, keeping the Aztecs from getting out to the edge. Put out a call to Twitter to see if anyone had anything they want to talk about. Twitter follower David H. wants to know who I think can be the breakout player against San Diego State. And I'm going to go with the tight end, specifically Bryce Walma, although Alex Lyons I think you have to look at as well. Um, after Cruz missed a wide-open Walma on several occasions, Fish noted this in his press conference, uh, I think on Monday, might have been Tuesday, uh, you can bet the Cats are going to look to get him the ball. In fact, now I almost wonder, are the Cats going to try to force him the ball? But I think we saw that Woma can be a target. You know, he was only targeted a couple times. Lines had the big gain uh, on that drive late in the game. But I just really want to see Arizona work that tight end, 
utilize those mismatches. It's so hard to guard a, t a good tight end in college football. Heck, it's hard to do it in the NFL, but especially in the college game that I think Woma can be a weapon that they utilize. And it's something I also think uh, can be used as a safety net for Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer if, if Plummer plays. And right now the indication is Plummer should at least get a series or two, uh, in part because Jetfish believes he deserves it. In part, he thinks there's an advantage to Cruz watching the defense from the sideline and seeing how they react. Uh, but I think we saw Cruz get very comfortable checking down to the receivers. I think they actually used it as a weapon later in the game. But I would, again, like to see him find that comfort zone in, in hitting the tight end and then eventually utilizing the tight end as, as a, not necessarily a guy who can stretch the field, but who might be able to get some chunk plays when you get him mixed up with either a slower linebacker or a smaller safety. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in seeing this weekend is just how the crowd is. Right now, about 35,000 tickets sold. They're expecting a lot of walk-ups. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how does this uh, program get supported by the public. We saw that the public, who was thirsting for something different after the end of the Tomy era and the, and the ill-fated Makovic era, came out and supported, really supported Mike Stoops for quite a while. We did not see as strong a support for Rich Rodriguez, and obviously the apathy had set in for Kevin Sumlin. I think there is a newfound excitement. I, I think it would be even better if had they won last Saturday, but I expect to see a pretty good crowd. Now, whether they can get to that 50,000 they're really hoping for, or I think that might be a little far-fetched. But if they can get to the mid-40s, I think that would be a good step. And then if they could put on a good show against San Diego State, then you might see some, some really good crowds come out for the NAU game and moving forward. Turning the attention to basketball, pet peeve time. And my pet peeve is Andre Iguodala. I don't think we can argue that Andre Iguodala is among the best Wildcats in the NBA. Uh, what he has done with the longevity of his career, being named a finals MVP, being a world champion is spectacular. But so many people forget he had a pretty average college career. Uh, I mean, the guy averaged just 9.6 points and 6.6 .6 rebounds a game, was not a starter as a freshman. And even playing 32 minutes a game as a sophomore, averaged just 12.9. Now, 8.4 rebounds, really good from a wing player. But he was on a mediocre team where he basically, all indications are he checked out at the end of the year because he knew he was going pro. He alienated teammates, and, and really that team self-destructed, ended up being, I think, a nine seed and lost a very uninspiring NCAA tournament game to Seton Hall. And although, you know, a, a year later, uh, they would be a Final Four caliber team advancing to the 05 Elite Eight, you could really point to that the Seton Hall game that season at least is being really the the end of the Lute Olsen era I would even argue maybe at the end of the Kansas game now again spectacular pro career good college career but if you're looking at small forwards he he I you know saw something today and this is what got me thinking about it where they were naming you know name pick out of these five from each position your top starting lineup and and frankly they got a lot wrong I mean they didn't have Jason Gardner in the point guard they didn't have Brian Williams in the power forward or, or center they didn't have Michael Wright on the list they didn't have Salim Stoudemire on the list yet they had you know they didn't have DeAndre Ayton on the list if you want to talk about dominant players even though you know his tournament run was not very successful but I'm sorry Alonzo Trier is not one of the top five shooting guards can't really put Chase Buttinger or, or Andre in the top five I think small forwards uh, if you're really looking at it if you want to look at pure college careers a lot of guys who had 
better careers uh, at Arizona at the small forward. I would would say, you know, I'd rather have Solomon Hill's career than Andre Iguodala. But that's just me. So that's one of my pet peeves because I keep seeing that. Again, he's a spectacular NBA player, a, a dominant athlete, but just an okay Arizona career. As we look forward to the next great Wildcats, Tommy Lloyd's recruiting strategy has been an interesting one. We've talked about a little bit how they just haven't extended a lot of offers. And that's still true. The Wildcats have just a handful of offers out for the 22 class. And Arizona is out on the road right now uh, watching the players, meeting the players as this is an open period. Um, Although they're in good shape for players like Colin Chandler and Jaden Bradley. They just missed out on Shaden Sharp, who I think was always going to go to Kentucky, but they at least got him in for a visit. Um, But they don't appear to have a ton of fallback players. Really, if you look at their offers, at least domestic players, it looks to be about two per position. And some of those guys have already committed elsewhere. Um, The fact is, Tommy Lloyd just does not seem interested in adding guys just to fill the roster. While he's obviously not adverse to adding players who will need time to develop, I look at like a guy like Adama Ball, who, by the way, at least if you read some of the reports on the message boards, is, is having a very good first impression, but is still a ways away from probably being an impact player. But he wants players who are either Arizona good right now or have the potential to be. He doesn't want, again, guys who are always going to be t- closer to the 12th guy on the roster than the second guy on the roster. Um, If they strike out on their top guys, which they could, um, it sounds like international players who, again, they're keeping under the vest, or the transfer porter is probably the most logical place they're going to try to recruit rather than settle for those lesser prospects. It'll be interesting, again, to see what they consider a guy who's worthy of development. If they bring in guys knowing that they're two- or three-year projects, maybe four-year projects, heck, maybe a five-year project. But my guess is you're going to see them bring in, while not going after every five-star guy who's a one-and-done, I still think they want a handful of those guys, at least one or two per class, to mix in with the other types of players. Okay, the day quill is wearing off. The nose is getting stopped up, and, and frankly, I, I kind of ran out of things to say. Again, join us right after the game. You can find the link on Twitter. I'll put it up uh, on Facebook as well for the Wildcat Country uh, postgame show that I'm co-hosting. I think it's just myself and Shane Dale this week. Uh, very excited about that. Also, stay tuned for some guest spots on some other podcasts I'm going to be doing. i uh, got some things in the work uh, with a certain uh, two-first-named broadcaster you may be familiar with. But until then... If you're going out to the game on Saturday, you're just going to the tailgate or you're just watching on TV, have fun, be safe, and as always, bear down.